reading from John. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does no not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commandments or these commands so that you may love one another. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me a prayer of illumination? O oh God, may the words that proceed from my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you this day, our rock and our redeemer. And may you, O oh God, through the example of your son, Jesus Christ, Show us the gift of friendship. Amen. Think back for a moment about a good friend that you had or currently have in elementary school. Even if you were homeschooled in remote villages abroad, I imagine that you had a pet or a grown-up that was a good friend to you. What made them a good friend? Did you always get along with that person? Did you share your toys? Did he or she encourage you? Did they refrain from judging you? Do you share common interest? Did you fall into the same popularity category and become friends by default? How did you know that they were good friends? Is it because they followed some suggested criteria provided by a school counselor, a parent, or another social program? Or did you just know? Younger elementary grades are notorious for their extensive training programs on what friendship means, especially, especially with the growing popularity of anti-bullying campaigns. Students are taught for what qualities to look for in a friend, and some of these qualities include trustworthiness, honesty, dependability, non-judgmental speech, and loyalty. But what really makes a friend? When it comes to two of my best friends from kindergarten until seventh grade, I cannot affirm any of those qualities in them except maybe the last one, loyalty. We didn't always get along. We shared toys sometimes. We encouraged each other on occasion. And looking back, some may have mistaken us for sworn enemies, but our friendship was based on loyalty to each other. Despite all of our differences and challenges, we were still friends. 
The concept of friend has become very generalized today. It's almost as generalized as the word love in our English language. Children are taught to make new friends at school, and sometimes we even give them that relational label when they simply play together as children. Even as adults, from time to time, we will categorize our acquaintances as friends, even when we don't know much more about them than what's on their business cards. To add to this generality, the term friend often lives in the secular world. It's something that's new to us in our church jargon. We often fill our Sunday school lessons with words of what it means to be good disciples and less on what it means to be good friends. Friendship does appear quite often in religious sector in catchy sayings that are embroidered on kitschy items and always in children's sermons. But in the passage that we read today, Christ brings this concept into the spiritual realm and sparks a discussion about it. He calls his disciples friends. And we should not be surprised that he bypasses all of the chit-chat about screening for persons who were non-judgmental, loyal, and encouraging. Rather, he talks about friends as being those who would die for one another. This passage is an extension of the one that we studied last week about Christ as the true vine, where he urges the disciples to abide in the vine, for that's where they would get their nourishment to bear fruit. The word abide, as Meg suggested last week, denotes a mutuality of sorts, where life is spent in exceedingly close quarters. In the ancient Greek world, the concept of friendship affirmed this abiding closeness. It's kind of like the, the idea that we encounter in Acts chapter 2 when we're told that the disciples held all things in common. There's a oneness of mind and of spirit. We can think about this kind of friendship in our modern context by pointing to one of the famous TV series of the 90s entitled Friends. It's about six friends who live in New York City. They bob and weave throughout each other's lives to the extent that their apartment doors should be doggy doors. Their relationship does have its flaws, but they are a rather unlikely group that seamlessly lives in close quarters with each other, and they thrive off of the presence of one another. It's a family that doesn't need a bloodline. If we were putting a Greek term with this type of friendship, we may give them the term philia. It means affectionate love. It's reserved for those who you might be in a friendship with, those that you might see and be excited about. It's related to the word philos, which is the word for friend. It's not an erotic love. It's not a familial love. Rather, it's a love that we may categorize our relationships today as best friends. It is by no means a shallow love, however, because the New Testament records several instances where this love is also shared between Christ and disciples and God and humanity. And I don't think there's much shallowness in anything that God does. 
On the whole, this term describes a mutuality of care and tenderness between friends. And interestingly enough for us today, this is not the kind of love that Jesus talks about in our passage when he speaks of the love of friendship, but more on that later. Dr. Gail O'Day, who is a professor at Candler School of Theology, says that the idea of friendship has been around for quite some time, and it was especially prevalent to the ancient Greek philosophers around the 5th and 4th centuries B.C. In that time, friendship was more of a social obligation to keep the Greek polis, or city-state, functional. Friendship and upstanding citizenship went hand in hand. A good friend was someone who was virtuous and who held high morality so that the community or polis remained in good standing. Good friends kept the polis in the forefront of his mind when he was considering his actions. Actually, Aristotle says something about this. He says, But it is also true the virtuous man's conduct is often guided by the interest of his friends and of his country, and that he will, if necessary, lay down his life on their behalf. This suggests a building up of the city-state through the camaraderie of friendship and of sacrifice. But did anyone else notice the words about laying down one's life for one's friends? Aristotle speaking these words nearly 300 years before Jesus does. So what might Jesus be up to in revisiting this idea? Well, Jesus may be doing what he likes to do with most other concepts that are popular in the day, and that is to give them twist. When Jesus says that no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends, he does not use philia, or phileo, as I mentioned earlier, a word that describes affectionate love of companions. Rather, Jesus uses the word agape. Agape is a word that many of us are very familiar with. It's one of the four words for love that we've probably studied quite often in our Sunday school classes. It's the deep-rooted love of God that's unconditional and never-failing. It's the God love that's infused with the abiding closeness of the vine and the one that prompts Christ and us to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's also this same God love that the disciples are called to. Christ says, love one another as I have loved you, agape love. What a command it is. What a command it is for each of us and the disciples to inherit the role to inherit the role of loving people just as God loved. God love does not mean that we love out of obligation for kinship bonds. It does not run when the heat turns up and begins to rise like an affectionate love or like an erotic love. It is steady and overwhelmingly so. This is the God love and sacrifice that we're talking about here in this passage. God love is what we are commanded to employ, not just when those that we're fond of needs to go to the doctor's office, but it's also when those people come into our workplaces that demand our help 
and not ask for it. God's love is also needed for the one who sits on the other side of the issue and lets us know it whenever they have the chance. God's love is needed for those that we have offered an hour of help and they have taken three from us. It doesn't mean that we always grant the request, but it means that we keep their well-being in mind as we respond to them. So many times we associate friendships with the feeling of gladness. It's good to get together with friends, to dine with them, to vacation with them, and even to call them for advice. We learn even at an early age to choose friends who are nice. And nice often makes us feel good. We also want to make others and our friendships feel good because in doing so, we can feel good for the good deeds that we have done. This cordiality would have made a lot of sense to the early Aristotelian philosophers. We can build a great empire on affectionate love and how we show it to one another. So it makes me wonder if kindness helps us to build our own empires. Is it helpful to make our business transactions or is it genuine, sacrificial love? Gail O'Day offers a second component to friendship in the times of the Roman Empire. This one is a component that would guard against false friendships based on flattery that we may find in simple business transactions. And that component of friendship is frank speech. Plutarch, in his work entitled How to Tell a Flatterer from a Friend, says, Frankness of speech is the language of friendship. And on the other side, the lack of frankness is unfriendly. Frankness opposes flattery. This caution toward flatterers arose in the early Roman Empire when friendship widened from one's focus on the well-being of the community to a friendship that makes new business partners. This idea, as you could imagine, was to watch out for those people that might scam you or hoodwink you. It also helped you guard from shallow partnerships that were more political than personal. Therefore, it was believed, those people who spoke to you straight were not out for their best interest of flattery, but rather for yours. In our context today, it is difficult to separate these traits because sometimes one's frankness often comes to us out of their own interest. A true friend, though, is one who drains the depths of their hearts to offer to you for your well-being. You do not get a piece of their mind because they need to get something off of their chest, but the words that they offer are life-giving because they were designed for you and they were breathed for you. Jesus says to his disciples, I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. Essentially, he says, I have revealed to you the depths of my heart and soul because I care about you and for humanity. Yeah, those words were difficult to hear at times. But what he gives to his disciples are truth. 
and helping them to find tools to find the humanity within them. Think back with me for a moment when Jesus was revealing the betrayal at the Last Supper. Those were difficult words. And when Christ calls out Simon for his lack of hospitality in comparison to the woman who anointed his feet with perfume, those were harsh words. He also calls the disciples men of little faith to their faces in one of the episodes of Calming the Storm. Again, something pretty hard to hear. It's difficult for us to hear this trait of friendship because often we get offended at bluntness, and much of it for good reasons. But being honest with those that we care about, even when it doesn't result in gladness, can sometimes be encouragement in itself. Frank speech is not destructive. It's loving observation. It's like the idea of a true friend being able to tell you that you have broccoli in your teeth. Well, the gospel writers writing in this context show that Christ did more for us than just tell us about broccoli in our teeth. He told us about the separation of sheep and of goats. He told us what it would take to inherit eternal life, something that the rich young ruler wasn't very fond of. And he told us what it was like to enter into the kingdom of God through the faith of a child. Those words who come from merely an acquaintance would have been harsh and maybe even offensive. And quite honestly, if I were using the elementary school counseling check sheets to determine if Jesus should be my friend or not, some of the things he said would make me very reluctant to do so because he doesn't always make me feel good. He tells his disciples that they can be considered friends if they do what he commands them. My first grade teacher would have sent me to the guidance counselor if I had told someone they could be my friend if they did what I said. But Jesus calls his disciples friends. He loves them so closely, not with an affectionate love, but a God love, where he would lay down his life for them. He was able to say the things that he did because he was their friend, and they respected and listened to him. This passage makes me wonder, what kind of friendship do we practice and with whom? Does our friendship focus on meeting our needs or theirs? What would a practice look like of God love in our friendship, where we're fully present with and for them? What would it look like to reclaim the spiritual realm within our friendships and know that it comes from God? I offer a challenge to us the rest of this Easter season as we continue to bear witness to God's love. By the way, it ends May 19th, so you don't have much time for this challenge. But in this challenge, I encourage all of us to reimagine a friendship that we currently have looking at it through the spirit of sacrifice and of God love. Or, instead, you may want to recall a friendship that you've had in the past, kind of like my two friends I mentioned from elementary school, looking at that friendship through the lens of God love, agape, and sacrifice. What might it have been like then? 
We are offered the friendship of Christ as an illustration of how closely and deeply God desires to be in a relationship with us. And this, overwhelmingly so, is what he calls us into as well. May God add a blessing to the living out of the sacred friendships in each of our lives. Amen.